This episode of Talking Smith About Film is brought to you by two weeks of solid editing for the journal. Yes, really, the Christmas Day episode is genuinely getting that big. I've become that used to doing a film news rundown on its own. It's been a while since we've done full fat podcast, but here we go. Welcome to Talking Smith About Film, your weekly but not kind of weekly because of journal commitments. Film podcast from the idiots at thejacksmith.com. And I figured this week was good enough of a week to bring it back because the Irishman is finally here. We will be reviewing it very shortly. It is a three and a half hour long film. We do not want to keep you waiting any longer to hear my thoughts on Scorsese's latest. But of course, we have all of our usual features on top of that too. We have the film news rundown. We have the box office. We have what's hot, what's not. I'll look at what's coming up into UK cinemas over the next couple of, couple of days. And we will also delve into into the LeeJackSmith.com archives once again as we take a further look in to some of the things we did on Rip Ticket last year. Uh, it's been an interesting week behind the scenes. Uh, we, speaking of Rip Ticket, actually, we might have some exciting news to share very soon about that. I am in talks with the university again. They all kind of stalled for a couple of weeks. But uh, I was back in the media factory on Tuesday and it felt good to be home so let's tell you how you can get involved with the podcast and then we will talk about what has become netflix's highest grossing cinema release of all time yes really getting involved with the podcast is simple enough that even a baby could do it you can find us on social media. Just search for leejacksmith.com in your platform of choice. You can email us using podcast at leejacksmith.com. You can comment on any of the YouTube videos that have been posted on the blog so far, including the journal and what the hell happened. And you can tweet us using the hashtag TalkingSmithAboutFilm. Well, let's not keep you waiting any longer. This is a bloody long film. Three hours, 29 minutes of it. Which is understandable considering it's on Netflix. But it's been out in cinemas since November 1st. It is finally time to review the latest film for an absolute god in this industry. He's back with a lot of the collaborators that defined his career. This is the new film from Martin Scorsese. Here is the trailer for The Irishman. It's over. They're all gone. Frank, it's time. It's time you say what happened. <laughs> Frank, I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Better watch, there's a lot of tough guys around here. Did he tell you? You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? Yeah. I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, 
he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that I was just trying to protect all of you. From what? You didn't see what I see, what I've been through. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Big business and the government is on the attack. You want to be a part of this fight? A part of this history? Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. You know how strong I made you? I know things they don't know I know. He said that? You sure he said that? I'm worried nobody threatens Hoffa. I got records, I got tapes. They're gone. I had to put you into this thing. Sooner or later, everybody put here as a date when he's gonna go. I know how you feel, Frank. Trust me, I know how you feel. We'll bring you back after you get your car. Now we're going to keep this review as spoiler free as we can because this is on Netflix and I know a lot of people won't have the chance to watch this film for a while because of its sheer runtime. Uh, but what the summary we've got here states a mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. This is quite a provocative film 150 uses of the F bomb. 20 uses of, uh, 40 uses of, uh, and other expletives. The BBFC would have had an absolute field day and picking a suitable clip for this podcast has been difficult, but let's give it a go anyway. Here's a clip. Let me put McGee on the phone. Hello? Hey, my friend, how are you? Listen, I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm going to put him on the phone let you talk to him, Okay. Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hi, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. Glad to meet you. Well, glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. I heard you paint houses. Yes, yes, sir, I, I do. I do, and I, uh, I also do my own carpentry. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I understand you're a brother of mine. Yes, sir. Local 107, since 1947. Yeah. You know, uh, our friend speaks very highly of you. Well, thank you. He's not an easy man to please. Well, I do my best. It is very difficult to find a bit of audio that sort of describes the film in a nutshell because visually is the best way to enjoy this film, really. It's a Scorsese film that sort of brings him back to his best. It's a film where he gets his Avengers of Cinema together, so to speak, and sure, it is a three-and-a-half-hour film, but my God, it was good! Um, 
in a change to the usual format, we're going to begin by talking about the cast first because this is where this film really excels. And as I joked just then, this is an Avengers tier lineup. Scorsese has reunited with a lot of his, of his frequent collaborators, and they include Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, who's out of retirement for this film. Yeah, that's how big of a script it was. Al Pacino. And, of course, Harvey Keitel, a lot of people who have worked with Scorsese in the past. And they've all, at various different points throughout this film, have been digitally de-aged. You get to see De Niro looking as young as 24 at times, which is an incredible achievement in terms of CG, because Scorsese is a sucker for doing things in camera. He has very deliberately used CG in ways that actually benefit the storytelling of the film. And yes, a lot of people have sort of said, is this whole story fictional? Well, it isn't. It's all based on true events. We've had to take some artistic liberty in the way they tell the story because that's the limitations of a $159 million budget, whatever it is, kind of uh, impact the way you can do stuff like this. But the way they utilise the CG and the in-camera stuff it uh, does show that Scorsese still knows how to make a good film in the age where he, a lot of other studios making films that he particularly doesn't like. I mean, we, we've talked about his denouncement of superhero films a couple of weeks back, and you'll hear a lot more about that in the journal coming up on Christmas Day. But it's obvious that this film has been in 15 years of development because they've been waiting on the right technology to actually get this film right. Uh, supporting them is... A, a cast of absolute heavyweights of both new and old. Uh, Ray Romano, Anna Paquin, Stephen Graham. Yeah, Stephen Graham is in a Martin Scorsese film. Let that sink in. Uh, Bobby Cannavale, Jesse Plemons, this supporting cast uh, are able to join the fold and create a film that is worth watching, even after a three and a half hour running time and the fact that not many multiplexes at all are even showing this film because of the fact that Netflix have the distribution rights to it. Yeah, we need to have a discussion about that, you know, actually showing films in cinemas give people a choice. Now, the tech side of things, and there isn't really much to fault here. Scorsese's directed this one really well. It's the longest film he's ever made, clocking in at three hours and 29 minutes, which if you work in cinemas, I imagine everyone is glad that it's on Netflix because it would it would be four hours if you added your adverts and trailers onto that. And uh, it is definitely a film you need multiple sittings to get through. Splitting it into two one-hour 45 blocks will probably be how a lot of people enjoy this film. Uh, I got through it with only a five-minute break. Uh, such as the endurance, uh, but it is also one of his most expensive films too. All of the money, quite rightly, went on the CG that they needed to de-age everyone down from 80 to mid-20s, mid-30s, mid-40s. All of the money went on what you see. And that's the best kind of film you can get, really. If they use... The $159 million budget, wisely. You can sort of create a unique way of storytelling. Sure, this is where the script from Stephen Zalian uh, comes in, because it's a very non-linear narrative. You see uh, De Niro's character telling this story through flashbacks. He's in a um, 
nursing home. Uh, and he's telling the story through flashbacks. That's how you get the CG flashbacks. How, that's how you get the CG de-aging. That's how you get the whole sequences. And just the, the general way this film is structured kind of warrants this three and a half hour running time because it is a truly epic film that has a lot of plot detail going into it, that has a lot of very intelligent work behind it. And it is really understandable that Scorsese has waited until now to to make the film of this length. And sure, it, it is paced pretty well. It is paced pretty well for a film this big. But like I say, I imagine people are going to split this film in two just so they can actually get through it because no one has really got three and a half hours to spare nowadays. And I mentioned Stephen Zagin just then. This is based on a book... Uh, called I Heard You Paint Horses, and the film is actually titled I Heard You Paint Horses on screen right at the very end, which confused a lot of people when, when I did, did my research for the review. I was like, ah, so it's, it's based on a book, so that explains how it can take some artistic liberty. But the script's pretty good, uh, adapted very well. Uh, like I said, not only a way of doing things might confuse uh, some audiences, it takes a bit of time to get used to the general feel of the film. And it does feel like it has been refined a lot in the 15 or so years um, that it's taken Scorsese to get around to making this film since De Niro read the book and, and actually set the wheels in motion, so to speak, for what, what we have just witnessed on Netflix. Behind the camera is Rodrigo Prieto. Uh, behind the camera is Rodrigo Prieto, who has worked with Scorsese on 2016's Silence as well as Wolf of Wall Street, which is his last big mainstream release of this calibre. The other reason The Irishman is being classed as a big mainstream release is because of the fact that Netflix are involved this time around and giving it a distribution globally and actually bothering to put it into cinemas. It's their highest grossing cinema release here in the UK. They've not given us the figures, but... We'll we'll do some probing eventually, but Prieto's back behind the camera, and it is just some of the cinematography in this film is to die for. It is just big, bold. Some of the shots in the courtrooms are, are really nicely done as well. I'm a sucker for a good crane shot, and the, the crane shots in this film are to die for, literally. Scoring duties is handled by Robbie Robertson. Again, another frequent Scorsese collaborator. He knows what, what Marcy wants. Uh, but I think the real unsung hero of this film, and she got the BAFTA for it last year, the, uh, the fellowship last year, film machine maker, editor. She had an incredible job editing this thing together. And again, she knows Scorsese's style, has his standard, better than anyone else because she's worked with him on that crew, the longest. She knows what he wants, and she has cut together a pretty damn good film. But, of course, as it is that time of year, we have to have the inevitable chat about awards. Netflix have been quite open about the fact that they put this film in cinemas to qualify it for BAFTA and for Oscar nomination. And... This is where the lack of multiplex support could hit this film a little bit because we all know what happened last year with Roma. 
We all know what happened last year with Roma. The multiplexer didn't want to get behind it because it was on a streaming service and they didn't want to support the enemy, so to speak. I know a lot of people within this industry who are a little bit gutted that no major multiplex chains are actually showing the new film from Martin Bloody Scorsese. And... Sure, but putting it on Netflix means it's easier to access. This is a 15 certificate film compared to his uh, older works. Uh, it's a 15 for violence and strong language. 150 use of the F-bomb, to be precise. But will the fact that this film is on Netflix deter BAFTA and Oscar voters, considering that the deadlines are a little bit earlier this year? We are getting Oscar nominations in the first week of January this time round because the ceremony is a couple of weeks earlier than it used to be. So, this one is going to be an interesting film to keep an eye on as we go into the, the, the big bulk of the awards run. We should be getting Golden Globes news any day now. But as for rating this film, it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie. So, a lot of audiences could very easily be put off by something this long. But only Scorsese could make a film like this. Especially in this day and age when audiences want two-hour films. He still made it pretty damn good. It's a true epic. And with a cast he knows arguably better than anyone else. It's easy to understand why this has been seen as a major awards contender. Rating this film, though, is a challenge. Because it got a five-star review. But it's not necessarily a full-on masterpiece. So the highest I can give this film, and it pains me to say it, is a go out and see it now. Purely because of that length. It's a film you really have to commit to. And a lot of people I know are going to make that commitment. And they probably will have gone to the cinema release on November 1st. But I can only give the Irishman a go out and see it now. If it was like 20 minutes shorter, it would have been a masterpiece. But its length is just a little too overbearing. So, that is the Irishman done. It feels good to actually get a review out uh, after quite a few weeks of holding in limbo waiting for my master's application to, to go through but we're on the, we're on the track now so you're going to get more new reviews over the next couple of weeks especially as I finish this journal that I've been working on uh, but that's irrelevant we're going to have a quick little commercial break we're going to tell you where you can enjoy the journal and we'll be back shortly with a film news rundown looking for something a little bit more visual than a podcast well we've got just a series for you Journal is our flagship YouTube series that takes a unique look into the world of film from the eyes of a critic, not just from cinema level, but for the films themselves. Every month, a new episode will go out, focusing on something that is actually worth talking about, whether it be ripping apart a film, going into detail about why UK cinemas work the way they do, 
all focusing on the cinemas that deserve to have their stories told. We cover everything we can on the journal. And it's a hell of a watch. Season 2 has just begun over on the YouTube channel now, so head on over to leejacksmith.com to not only binge watch Series 1, but subscribe to the channel to stay notified on when new episodes launch. Sequels to surprise successes, controversies within cinema foyers, oh, and a lot of talk about Star Wars. For Friday 29th November, this is your film news rundown from leejacksmith.com. Welcome to London, aka the dungeon. Shootouts and stabbings on like every other junction. Banging for their bother, but they don't even own that. You touch one of theirs, guarantee they can roll back. You read the headlines in the news, but they don't tell you why they go to us, so I'ma break it down for sure. Now, this is not the kind of lead story we want to trail on here on Talking Smith Bear Film or even the film news rundown, but considering the impact that this has had on the industry over the last couple of days, it'll be wrong for us not to talk about it. Uh, if you haven't already heard, uh, the debut film from director Rapman has been the, the subject of quite a lot of controversy over the last couple of days, and it all stemmed from an incident that happened at Views Birmingham Star City site on Saturday evening. Now, this is a film called Blue Story. It is a, a film centrally revolving gang warfare. Uh, it all really stems from a, a big group of teenagers, as young as 13 and 14, going into the foyer of Star City, the press reporting over 100 of them, uh, brandishing machetes and uh, with the intent of causing trouble in front of families who are also coming in to watch things like Frozen 2 and a variety of other films. Stuff like this just doesn't stand. And as a result, as a direct result of that, and over 16 individual complaints brought on to cinema managers across the circuit, View and Showcase have taken the decision to pull this film from cinemas. And... I think this is the right move for everyone involved because, just think, the cinema is meant to be a place for escapism. You don't want to have to fear for your life in order to go out and watch a film that you've been really wanting to see. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. The staff at Star City certainly wouldn't want to be in that situation. I know the staff here in Preston who have watched all of this unfold in, in, in the press. But I guess for both View and Odin, who I know, are shocked by this. Because this is an independent film. And, and sure, taking it away from a good majority of the sites that it was playing at is a big move. But it is totally understandable. Understandably, the chains have put out a variety of press statements. We'll begin with Showcase first. Uh, they told Empire Magazine, the safety of our guests is the utmost importance. Due to the recent incidents tied to screenings of the film Blue Story, after careful consideration with the film's distributor Paramount, Showcase has immediately removed the film from all of our participating cinemas. Any guests that have purchased tickets in advance can receive a full refund at the cinema box office. We remain in discussions with the distributor with regards to potentially reintroducing the film in due course. 
We apologise for any inconvenience, but guest safety remains our top priority. Now, Showcase did go back on their word on Monday, and they have restored the film to some of their cinemas. Not all of them. They're being very tactical about where they play it. And for very obvious reasons, they've added a lot of extra security and uh, just general peace of mind to ensure customers are in the best environment they can be in. Odeon have also amplified their security presence, but the statement we were all waiting for, given that this incident was the one that kind of spurred this whole controversy off, is, of course, the statement from View Entertainment, which is as follows... The decision to withdraw Blue's story was not one taken lightly or without careful consideration of our experience across the country. The film opened in 60 of our sites across the UK and Ireland on the 22nd of November, but during the first 24 hours of the film, over 25 significant incidents were reported and escalated to senior management in 16 separate cinemas. Those are your team leaders, your cinema managers and your GMs there. This is the biggest number we have ever seen for any film in such a short time frame. Despite a range of precautionary measures in place, including increased security, removal of late night showings and reduced screenings of the film, the decision to withdraw Blue Story in its entirety was made on Saturday evening on the grounds of safety alone. While we are disappointed at these are the actions we have, we've had to take, we hope it is understandable that we cannot and will not take any risks with regard to the welfare and safety of our staff and our customers. Unfortunately, the actions of a significant few have spoiled the opportunity for others, but we stand by our decision to withdraw the film from our schedule indefinitely. This decision is not, as some have alleged, based on biased assumptions or concern about the content of the film itself. At VIEW, we believe passionately in bringing people together and using the power of the big screen experience to entertain, educate and inspire all of our audiences. Blue Story is a fantastic film and one with a very powerful message. It is a film that has the opportunity to change lives. We hope that it achieves the success it deserves and importantly, its message does not get lost. So that's what head office and Chiswick have to say. The real question now is whether customers are going to continue supporting the film in the way they have. We're not going to tell you how it did at the box office just yet because that would kind of spoil one of our features later on down the line. But Rapman has been all over social media. He's been getting people to go to other cinemas and watch this film and it has done a great opening weekend number. We will tell you a little bit more about that later on in the podcast. But I think it's time we had some much lighter news. We mentioned the Media Factory earlier on and, well, it'll be wrong for me not to mention the latest batch of Ukraine film production to students. I had the honour of going into the production office once again with my old friend Ed Greenberg to see how the production team of what is now called The Hanged are getting along with their crowdfunding campaign. Um, if you head over to ejacksmith.com, we've got all of the information you need to know right there. But having now spoken with Callum, Peril and Matt and their fantastic production team, their, their, D- their DPs, their, their assistant directors, their script supervisors, I think that we might have another situation come May we have another fantastic film to review and behold. This is the only university course in the UK that lets students make a feature film. So I'm so damn proud to see another film literally on the verge of being made. And that also reminds me of The Haunting, 
Last week, it played as part of the Great Northern Creative Expo on the campus to a very good crowd. Uh, and I also got to catch up with Shayla Kirkham, Jack O'Connell and Caitlin Rigby, who are the directors of the film. And some of the projects that they've got coming up when it comes to short films that they're going to make sound really interesting and we'll keep you updated with all of that on LeeJackSmith.com over the next academic year. <coughs> Warner have moved Godzilla vs Kong to a November 2020 release. Uh, we kind of knew this was coming because of the fact that I haven't actually put a trailer out, or a new trailer out for the film anyway. Uh, it had been long touted for a summer release but yes this this first meeting of two goliaths of the cinema industry together actually facing off against each other was originally touted for a may release then it got shifted to march uh, and now warner have said look we're just going to move it to november outright uh empire are saying uh got warner brother chairman Toby emmerich quoted in june uh, I think that Godzilla vs. Kong will deliver in for fans in a way they were looking for with King of the Monsters. And that was around a week after Godzilla King of the Monsters opened and underwhelmed. So Warner making a good move here, pushing it back to November means they're basically running unopposed. Not much of interest to release in November 2020 that I know of at this time, without looking at the release schedule. Uh, but this, this could be a, 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 a good little move. Producer Graham King has got the rights to the Michael Jackson biopic and he is the man who had a lot of input on Bohemian Rhapsody, so make of that what you will. <coughs> Lucasfilm have basically confirmed that following the release of The Rise of Skywalker we're going to get news on all the new films going forward. Uh, of course, details are very tight-lipped about that right now, especially after the Game of Thrones showrunners left one of these new sets of films. But from what we understand, they've got a big story plan going forward, and obviously the fact that Solo, a Star Wars story, tanked last year has kind of put a dampener in the plans, hence Disney Plus series being a thing. Uh, but we know for a fact Kathleen Kennedy is going to announce the, the new slate of films post-Skywalker uh, in January. Kind of setting up Rise of Skywalker for awards nominations, I don't know. <coughs> and speaking of Star Wars, as a Christopher Nogan fan, this makes me very happy. Slash Film are reporting that the Tanae prologue is going to play before screenings of the rise of skywalker uh, at all imax venues of course details of nolan's new film have been quite hush hush uh, ahead of its july 2020 release date and the fact that we are finally getting news on the prologue to making all the hype very real or we just have to hope warner give us a proper online trailer soon because Limiting it to cinemas kind of limits the reach of the film, I don't know. But yep, today prologue is finally coming. New Nolan is on the horizon and I cannot be more excited for it. And finally, uh, we mentioned surprise sequels and... Well, we're not talking about the sequel to the Downton Abbey movie. That was basically given, but... News from Warner... And this has been reported a lot while we've been away from podcasting, so we thought it would be a good and finally piece. They're going to make a sequel to Joker. 
and Tom Phillips is in talks to direct it. I don't know what to make of it, really. Obviously, Joker is the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. And it felt like DC got the format of an origin story just perfect this time round. But this is just... This is a Disney movie. I just want to milk it for box office dollar. And I don't want to see Warner go that way. What I want to see is Warner make some good one-and-done films and then connect them all together. That's how the other studios have done it. Why can't they figure that out? It's about as crazy as trying to figure out how to, I don't know, make a podcast that doesn't jeopardise the chance of getting it. I can't make that joke. Because I know they listen to this. Uh, But... That's all the big film news for this week. We're going to delve into the leejacksmith.com rip ticket archives in a minute after this little commercial break, but seriously though, Joker 2 is happening. Don't get that. This year, leejacksmith.com is born independent. We're not shackled to any cinema chain anymore. All we will focus on are the films you watch and whether they're good or not. We're even going to have some unique collaborations along the way too, whether it's with film production students, film production lecturers, cinema staff, or even friends of mine who are into the world of big screen entertainment. Over the next 12 months, we are going to cover every aspect of the film industry imaginable. So, you'll want to strap yourself in for the ride. LeeJackSmith.com, the home of short and concise film reviews. And a lot more since June 2013. Right, time to go into the archives of the radio show now. Last year, there was a new adaptation of The Grinch from the geniuses who brought you Despicable Me, Sing, Hop, and, of course, the uh, the people who created the Minions. We're, of course, talking about Illumination Entertainment. It's Benedict Cumberbatch, who was the, the guy who hates Christmas, and to try and get you all in the festive mood, here is a vintage Rip Ticket Show review of that film. Illumination Entertainment have had a very mixed track record of late. They have revolutionised things with the Despicable Me films. They've also put a few duds in the form of Secret Life of Pets, Sing, and Hop, which hasn't even had a sequel yet. I don't know why. But, of course, they also put out in 2012 a version of the Lorax. So they have quite a big connection with the properties of Dr Seuss. Three, nearly four years on from that... We are finally getting a brand new take on The Grinch, a film which many people see as a film as a as a book you can't really do justice to, especially with Jim Carrey doing his version in two thousand. So, fresh off the heels of its opening weekend, for which it did nearly five million pounds, there was six hundred grand in it. For those of you interested, is this new version decent? Is this new version good? And is this new version even a patch on the Jim Carrey one? Well, Mr Cumberbatch, it's time to do your thing. This is the trailer for The Grinch. (laughs) Matt, stop socialising! Now, let's go in for a look. Watch out! Christmas already? Ugh! 
Look at those greedy little gift monsters. Ready? Oh, hey, look, it's me. little goat. I was looking for a rain... <laughs> ah! guess from the trailer this is a by the basics adaptation of the book and the film that you all know and love and to give a a short and very concise summary of the plot big green dude he hates christmas he wants to ruin it by stealing everyone's presents of course along the way he meets these people he tries to get tries to get him to change his ways and it's a very topical thing considering what people don't really get along with christmas nowadays uh the animation is top form. I can, I can definitely say that much. The animation is on top form, and it, it feels like they've just taken a Despicable Me formula and applied it to to the actual Grinch format itself. And it's kind of obvious in a way that they've set up um, how the Grinch lays out his master plan, which is the clip that we've got for you. Uh, so it, it's obvious that the, the illumination formula has been applied. It's been applied relatively successfully to this to this product. So we're going to play a clip. I'm going to launch into the review. The presents. This is our enemy. You will want to unwrap it and play with it. But you must not. If you can get past the present, the only obstacle left is the cookie. Look at it in all its red, sugary splendor. No, no, no! Look at yourselves! Discipline! We must... Resist. So, as you have heard, this is a film that 
it's all right actually it's not the greatest film in the world it's definitely a lot cra- a lot better than Cracking the Four Realms let's face it uh, but living up to Jim Carrey's 2000 effort as this dude who hates Christmas is difficult and obviously Universal wanted Illumination to give it a go and it just about delivered upon the goods they had a lot riding on this film uh, Yara Chaney who's directed a lot of Despicable Me films in the past uh, had a lot of input into Illumination's output uh, him and Scott Mosier are in charge and they've crafted this one hour 26 minute film that ticks all your formulaic Christmas animation boxes you've got a decent enough plot some alright humour for the kids some good jokes for the adults and you've got this script from Michael Garcia and Tommy Swerdgo unfortunately it does feel like it's been written by committee it has the same format that Illumination films have followed and audiences are starting to get a little bit fed up of things like that now it's getting a little bit tedious yeah people have seen too many Despicable Me films the first one was good the second one was alright the third one was pretty awful um but you've got the same style of animation and Illumination just outdo themselves on every film they make. Since they launched onto the scene with that first Despicable Me film nearly eight years ago now, the animation's just got better and better and better. And that is the same can be said for this film. The animation and production design is on top form. And also someone else who's on top form, uh, considering the fact that he's been scoring more adult films, Danny Elfman's back scoring a kid's film again not been able to say that for a few years uh, it was a very pleasant surprise to see his name in the credits after seeing him score all sorts of other things like the Fifty Shades trilogy god forbid I have to watch those films again uh, alongside Justice League and Go On The Train these more films that are aimed towards your adult audiences rather than your family viewpoints and that does bring us on to the voice performances. It's a pretty small cast by modern Hollywood standards. So you've got, and also quite lacking in star power too. Your main, the main drawing point is Benedict Cumberbatch, who some people think isn't grinchy enough. I, I think he pulls it off pretty well. He he's all right in it. He does deliver the lines pretty well in a, in a good way. And obviously a lot of audiences will be able to overlook that and sort of look into, so, oh, this is a pretty all right film to bring kids to, so I'll just do it that way. You've also got Rashida Jones as as, as Donna, the mother of the kid in which uh, is trying to get the Grinch to change his ways. You've got Pharrell Williams, weirdly enough, is going to write her, so okay, obviously he's trying to capitalise on that Despicable Me reference. Uh, and those are only the three big names that are in this film that are of interest to British audiences. It's, uh, Mindy Sterling just put in some additional voices, and you've got all of this going on. Uh, but I, I, I didn't know what to think of this film. It has its positive points. It has its negative points. It does drag on a little bit there is actually for those of you going off to watch it get there early there is a little short film featuring the minions can we ever escape from them there is a short film featuring minions uh, from despicable me uh, before the film so get there early to avoid disappointment it's actually a pretty funny short film too but as for this film where it does feel like we've had we've, we've seen this film a million times before we've seen this film done to death we've seen this film done to capitalise on the Christmas sentiment. I know the adverts for a certain co- uh, a certain carbonated soft drink uh, began airing on TV over the weekend, so you know we are in that time of season once again. You know we are approaching the festive season, so I expect to see a lot more of these films come out over the next couple of weeks. Whether they're good or not is 
a different question altogether. Unlike uh, Nutcracker, I'm not angry, I'm not disappointed, but it did underwhelm a little bit. Mr. Cumberbatch and a pretty enjoyable minion short film, save this film, and that is a pretty big shame because this is how we begin the countdown to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it. It's November 16th, for goodness sake, we've got another two weeks before we hit December before I'm allowed to play those tracks. So The Grinch, it's all, it's okay. It's not bad, it's not good either, but it's certainly, a, it's a decent film for for what we what we need it, it it it's certainly worth a watch it is certainly worth a watch but there, like i say there are better films to be seeing there are better more thought provoking intelligent pieces of cinema that are playing at the minute and of course as mentioned before you have this big cloud called fantastic beasts and words find them looming uh so again it's just going to be a case of try and fit it in while you can i know some cinemas are showing it to death the cinema I'm going to later today have had uh, playing it six playing Fantastic Beasts sixteen times today after doing three midnight shows last night. So whether they're going to be able to fit it onto screens is going to be a, a question entirely. And the timing of us playing that little review out could not be better because uh, next week, next Friday. Uh, it will be on Sky Cinema Premiere for the first time, so now TV customers get on it as soon as possible if you if you want if you want a little something uh, to take the kids' minds off boredom over the Christmas period. That is your second review down. Regular listeners will know the format by now. It's time to talk about what's hot and what's not, and of course we begin with the UK box office. So as ever, the, the lovely people at Comscore have given us the, the full top 15, as as usual. I'm going to run you through them, because that's what we do here. Uh, 15th place this week is a new entry, Pagel Panty. It is an, uh, an Indian film. Reviews on IMDb haven't been that great. Three men considered as losing their lives by the people plan to get rich along with their girlfriends by fooling two gangsters and robbing their money. Sounds like a pretty unique film, but it only did 75,000 at UK cinemas this week. Again, probably a very limited release. Unlikely it would have been press screened, but that's what you expect from these kinds of films. At 14th is Midway. It's in its third week in UK cinemas now. It did 78,000 this week to bring it up to £1.9 million for Lionsgate. This, of course, is the new film from Roland Emmerich, so I'm not surprised that uh, this film has performed the way it has. It's just explosion, 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 explosion. Emmerich is worse than Michael Bay for that kind of thing. Uh, 13th is Abominable. It's in its seventh week now. Universal uh, are very happy with how it's done. It has done £107,987 this week. Uh, unfortunately, um, there's a little bit of a glitch uh, in that I don't have the total UK box office for this film and the next film in the list. Uh, insert pickup here, I suppose. And Abominable is up to a nice £8 million after this amount of weeks in play. But Universal should be very happy with how this film has done. This is their first major DreamWorks release uh, since How to Train Your Dragon came out earlier this year and did pretty well. For a new IP, yeah, they should be happy with that. At 12th, 
Again, it's another release for Universal is a film called Harriet. It did £115,000 this week. That explains that. Uh, this is the true story of Harriet Tubman's escape from slavery and transformation into one of America's greatest heroes. Uh, and Cynthia Revo is in this film and she's had a, a good run of, of movies lately. Uh, so, but again, opening outside the top top ten, uh, probably very good release. released. And again, we we all we all secretly know why every film is on the missing release, and it's because well, that would spoil that would spoil the top five. Um, I'm going to eleventh. It is week number six for Sean the Sheep Farmageddon. It's up to six point nine six point six million. It did 129,000 this week. So again, it's this film has got staying power. It's got pulling power, and it's Ardman. It's Ardman. Can't fault that. So that's your lower rung of UK cinemas this week. Now for the bit everyone's talking about. Top 10 time. At 10th place this week is a live event. Aknaton is Met Opera release. It did 170,000 in cinemas this week. Of course, event cinema doesn't really count. At ninth is the sixth week in a row for Maleficent Mistress of Evil. It did £237,000 this week. It's up to £14.4 million over its lifetime. Disney again, happy about its guy because they've got dominance on the market right now. At eighth is The Addams Family, week number five. And this film has, again, been doing good business for Universal. £9.3 million over its last couple of weeks. It did 241000 from British cinemas over the last seven days. But again, that is very good going. At seven is The Good Liar. Third week for Warder's new release. This is Bill Condon, Condon's brand new film. It did 263000 in UK cinemas. It's up to £3.2 million in its lifetime. Mirren McKellen, yeah, good, good appeal. At six, it's another one release. Joker is halfway through its cinema run now. It's up to 57 million. They did 506,000 in UK cinemas this week, which is incredibly good going. Into the top five now, and we have a brand new entry at fifth. 21 Bridges, the first film from the Russo Brothers new production joint. It did 655,000 pounds in UK cinemas this week, which is really bloody good. At fourth is Le Mans 66. Second week now, it's up to 4.2 million over its two-week run. Did 1.1 million this week. At third is Blue Story. Yes, it did it. 1.3 million pounds on its opening weekend, even with half of its screens gone. And at second is last week's number one, Last Christmas, which of course means that Frozen 2, surprise, surprise, is your UK box office number one with a £15 million opening weekend. One of the highest openings for an animated film ever here in England. But I think we all have to agree that Blue Story was the real winner at the box office this week, even with losing half of its screens, even with losing view, showcase briefly. To get a £1.3 million opening weekend, Rapman is very happy about that. And I think everyone involved in the film should be happy with a £1.3 million opening weekend. And just for clarity, to give you how much of an idea that Frozen 2 won by, Last Christmas only did 2.2 million this week and it's up to 6.7 in its lifetime so that tells you a lot about the box office scene at the minute so that is your box office done let's turn our focus to what's opening this weekend 
And because of Frozen 2, screens are at an absolute premium right now. So there's only three releases opening this Friday and, well, the quality of them leaves a lot to be desired. In one case, the other two I don't know much about. The big one is the new Charlie's Angels reboot. Yep, they're actually doing it. The trailers haven't been good. They've been heavily promoting it on TV and social media over the last couple of days. So the telltale signs of a flop are there. There is also an Indian film called Hilaro. Uh, it's about a group of suppressed women from a village in Gujarat finding someone in the desert and their lives being changed forever. This is a, a 12 certificate drama, a very, very highly rated on IMDb. And of course, I doubt it would have been press screen. So again, I don't know much about this film. Uh, and the final major release on here is a documentary called The Bigless Little Farm. Uh, documentarian John Chester and his wife Molly working to develop a sustainable farm on 200 acres outside of Los Angeles. Uh, this is probably going to be playing at a lot of the independent sites where the Irishman is probably playing. This is probably counter-programming of sorts, because uh, again... Frozen 2 has the lion's share of screens right now, so you've got to be very very tactical about where you put your films uh, in terms of actually location-wise. But even though this film is not out this week, I think considering the week, the last couple of days that it has, uh, Blue Story is making its way back into a variety of cinemas. Showcase restored it. View are in talks about potentially restoring it as well with added security. Tim Richards was in the press literally minutes ago at time of recording uh, saying that we are working on ways to bring this film back. So if you really want to see the film in a recliner, you've got OD and Lurks, you've got a few silly worlds and View are potentially bringing the film back as well. That is your week in film. Now, a little bit of a look ahead to what to look forward to on Talking Smith over the next couple of weeks. Last year on the blog, while I did Rip Ticket Show, we had a feature called TV Movie of the Week. And every week I'd recommend a free-to-air film uh, that was pretty good, I'd, that I'd reviewed and I thought was, was, was worth a look, was worth looking at. And of course, because we want to keep some features exclusive to Rip Ticket, because I'm going to be back at the university in April, so means I means my show is going to be back. Uh, but because I want to keep some features exclusive to Rip Ticket, that's the reason you've not had it here on Talking Smith about film. But as we are approaching the one time of year when every film in the world's on TV. What we're going to do once the Christmas TV schedules are out is we're going to give you a special extra episode of Talking Smith About Film. It's going to give you the best recommendations for films uh, free to wear, so film, films you can get on Freeview, and films that you can get on pay TV, so your Sky, your Virgin Media, your Freesat, all of that sort of thing. Uh, we might put a couple of Netflix films in, in there for good measure, but we are going to give you an extra podcast giving you the lowdown on the best films to look out for over the Christmas period uh, and into New Year as well. So there's, there's a lot of work, and like I said, I'm doing all this on top of an hour-long journal right now, so finding the time to fit all this in is difficult. That's why uh, talking so it's not been weekly for the last couple of weeks, but we're going to try and get back into a regular rhythm now. But you're going to get an extra podcast uh, the minute Christmas schedules go live, uh, sort of detailing the films to watch this year. And 
the selection that some of the channels have got. The BBC have got some really good stuff this year. ITV are yet to announce at time of recording. Sky have got some good stuff this year. It's going to be interesting to sort of see what I recommend. But unfortunately for now, that is just about it for Talking Smith for this week. Uh, we will get more regular podcasts out over the next couple of weeks as we get back into the swing of things on the blog. Uh, but if you want to sort of continue uh, hearing films, we've got like 19 episodes worth of material you can listen to now. Uh, we've got a journal over on the YouTube page. And of course, you have the actual reviews themselves over at thejacksmith.com. Uh, we'll be back very soon with more goodness. But for now, my name's been Jack Smith. You've heard me talk Smith about a film for too long. And until next time, we'll see you at the movies.